This episode of the Adventure Jogger Podcast brought to you by Jason Chatham, John Merck, Eric Anderson, Stacy Sill Richards, Ryan Mayer, and all of our Patreon supporters, and of course you, yes, you the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Uh, right before I press the record button, uh, Becky, you informed me that you hate interviews. I do. I do. <laughs> Believe it or not, in everything that I do in my life, I'm very shy. And my friends will be like, no way. There's no way she's this shy. But I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you need to talk to your friends. You need to say, listen, I don't know which one of you, or actually there's multiples. Like, I don't know out of all of you... Who reached out to Ryan and said, have Becky Jones on the Adventure Jogger podcast, but I don't appreciate it. And I would ask that you never do that again. I'm pretty sure I did that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) You could have always said no. You could have said, you know, Ryan, I, I, I don't know if I want to be on the jogger. I don't want to be that person. You know, you would be a part of a very small list of people if if you did. I mean, you could be a legend. You could be the answer to the <laughs> ultimate trivia question. Who's the person that said no to the adventure jogger? Uh, answer is Becky Jones. She doesn't want to be on it. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Becky, have you ever met Becca Jones? I haven't. I have heard of her, mm-hmm. uh, and we've probably ran a race or two together, um, but I've never met her. I just want everybody to know that I've had Becca Jones on the podcast a couple of times. Becky Jones and Becca Jones are not like two personalities of the same person. I mean, considering you see me, yes, yeah, true. I can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> so... Before we get into, you know, running and and all that stuff and trying to figure out who the person is that threw you under the bus and got you on the adventure jogger reluctantly. um, Yeah, I did get some recon on you from a person who was a guest on the adventure jogger that knew you were going to be on and sent me some stuff about you. Some things that I probably would not have known had I just stalked your social media. Okay. So we'll start with this one. This is the most important. Um, Apparently, according to this past guest and friend of yours, you are a big pet person. How many pets do you currently have, Becky Jones? I am down to six. (laughs) Oh, okay. Down to six. So what was the number before that? Seven. January was seven. I had to put one of my pigs to sleep. Oh, I'm I'm dead. I have six now. I'm sorry to hear. No, so, yes. So, what are they? What pets do you have? I have um, three dogs. Okay. And they're little dogs, so like they kind of equate to one medium dog. <laughs> I have two cats and one pig. A pig. 
I have a pig. Like, do you live on a farm or do you have land or how'd you, how'd you come um, across a pig? I, so pigs have always been my favorite animal. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're growing up, my sister said the cow is my favorite animal and her being five years older, I was like, well, I need a favorite animal. So let's have a pig. And then just growing up, they were my favorite. So I decided when I bought my first house, it was time to get a pig. So Kevin Bacon is his name. And he's been with me for almost 11 years now. (laughs) You have a pig named Kevin Bacon. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Does your HOA allow this? Do you have to hide Kevin Bacon from the HOA? I live in Alabama in a very rural area so i live on a street with like six houses i only have half an acre but you know there's land all around me and he lives inside though (laughs) your pig lives inside yes okay okay kevin bacon dog door he goes in and out whenever he wants here's what i need to know becky um can you train a pig to go outside like you would a dog Yes, they are actually smarter than the dog. So um, I got him when he was seven weeks old and he already knew how to use the dog door and go outside to go to the bathroom. Wow. Yeah, he knows tricks. So (laughs) (laughs) what type of tricks does does Kevin Bacon know? He uh, um, circles. He like does a circle. Mm -hmm. He will do a figure eight between my legs. He knows how to jump, but he only gets his front hooves off the ground. That's it. That's amazing. That wow! I, I'm glad I started with the animal question because <laughs> these are these are nuggets you just don't get anywhere else, folks. A pig named Kevin Bacon. That's 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 pretty awesome. I have other questions from inside sources, but we'll save those for later. Okay, Becky, this is a running podcast. In case anyone's stumbling upon this going, wait a minute, is this farm chat? No, no, this is a running podcast. Uh, Becky, give us kind of your running journey and what kind of led you into the sport of ultra running. Yeah, so I was the typical road runner. Uh, Half marathons were my thing in California. I ran like, you know, all the rock and roll halves. And everyone tried to get me to run trails and I said, no way, I will twist my ankle, I'll fall, I'll hurt myself, and then I won't be able to compete in road races. That would be a nightmare. (laughs) So I moved to Alabama seven years ago, and I still had some friends that wanted to do trail. And I said, no, I'm I'm not going down that road. And then COVID hit, and all my friends were just running trail, and my road marathons were canceled. And so I picked up trail for the first time three years ago. And I haven't looked back. COVID forced you off the road yeah literally i had planning on running a half in every state and i had three states lined up and they were all canceled and i was like and trail running was not canceled and that's how it all started interesting i think you left out big chunks of that story though because you kind of gave us the reader's digest quick version um, you were a runner like forever. Were you a runner in high school, middle school? Were you a cross country runner? No. They, my high school tried to get me on the cross country team and I was like, running is stupid. There's no way. <laughs> and then I, in fact, my best friend lives next door to me. We went to college together in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And one day we're like, let's run a half marathon. 
and this was 2004 maybe yeah and so we ran our first half marathon and we did three others after that um and it kind of just snowballed when COVID hit you know there were some virtual races so me and my running friends ended up doing you know the Yeti 24-hour race mm-hmm. yep. so that was really my first ultra and I'd never ran over a full marathon and it kind of snowballed from there where I fell in love with that. I was like, this is actually pretty easy. I just did 31 miles. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <that> was easy. <laughs> no, that was so much fun. And I remember when COVID hit and races had to cancel and there was, there was big debate. I mean, there was race directors who very loudly proclaimed, I will not participate in virtual running. It is not real. Oh. It is a cash grab. This is not good for the sport. They stood firm and fast against it. And I think there were race directors like Jason Green that realized, hey, we can't have people come together. We don't know what's going on with this pandemic. We're trying to figure this coronavirus thing out. But we still need, we still can have a community. We still can bring people together. And I'm using quotation fingers when I say bring people yeah. together. We can bring people together in interesting and unique ways. And one of them was the Yeti 24-hour challenge where, I mean, listen, you can do this when you want. You can do this with friends. You have to run five miles every four hours for an entire day. And it was so different and so unique. I remember doing it. It was such a wonderful day because you, you, if you do it right, you're hitting different points of the day, right? And so, yeah. And that's what, and we did that too. So we actually had a group of us. Mm-hmm. So we tried to stay six feet away, but I mean, in the end, we probably were closer than we should have. But <laughs> we decided to run six different locations. But at that time, I still wasn't running the trail. So one of the locations was a trail. And me and this other guy were like, we're not doing that. So we went and ran somewhere else while everyone else ran trail. And then I think after that is when I started to run the trails. And I was like, oh my gosh, I should have been running the trails. Right. What were you missing? You're like, you were right. fast. I'm not going on that off-road trail with you weirdos. I am a road runner. I will do this crazy thing. But guess yeah. what? I'm going to stay on the road. What was it that got you actually off the road? Because it wasn't the Yeti 24-hour challenge. You weren't going to go off the road for that. Yeah. So I remember if I look back, I, you know, my Facebook memory was just a couple, I think it was last week where yeah. it was my three year anniversary and we ran the, you know, Chocolaca Heflin Spur area. So Rock and Chocolaca, uh, 50K and half marathon, they changed because of COVID. They couldn't have it at Coleman Lake anymore. So they changed it. Right. And all my friends were going to run that. Yeah. And so we kind of ran the new course. And I just fell in love with it then. And so Rock and Chocolock was my first real ultra sign up trail race. So you had ran half marathons up until that point. And I've, I've done three fulls. And okay, after so my last full, okay. I said, I'm never running a full marathon again. And now I'm running 100 miles. <laughs> what was it about the third road marathon that made you go like, this is it? It it was painful. I was going for a PR. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the Marine Corps Marathon in Arlington, Virginia, and it was just a monsoon. It was pouring for 22 miles, and then the sun came out, and then it was hot for the next four miles, and I was just in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm never doing this again. And I thought, 
you know, the however long the training was like, well, like three months of training was horrible mm-hmm. and commitment. And now I'm like, now I'm training for six months. <laughs> <laughs> let's screw the full marathon and the three months training. And let's go six months and a hundred. Like, right. It's right. Rock and Chocolaco. That's your first official trail event. You're, yes. you're, you got mixed. I've said it so many times. You got mixed up with a bad crowd. It's a, teaching yeah. you to go run on the dirt. What was it about that first 50K that made you not reject it like the marathon and say like, okay, well, there's something to this. Well, I only did the half. Okay. And it was hot. Back then they had it in June. Mm-hmm. Since then they've moved it to April, but it was in June. It was hot. It was miserable. It was painful. I suffered. And that's what I loved. I loved the suffering and that I wasn't going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> and you use that to push on and to finish. And I ended up coming in third female. Walter Sinop has me as fourth because some girl cheated, but um, <laughs> he, ended up, he ended up mailing me the award. But I came in third. And after that, I was like, oh, I actually have a shot at some of these. Yeah. What was so it? Exciting. Yeah, to take third. Well, you're you were fourth in the sign up, but you got the the award mailed to you. So we'll we'll yeah. well that's official. What was it? Because you said that it was you're miserable at the Marine Corps Marathon. What was it about yeah. the suffering in the in the trail race that really kind of made suffering. you go like this is it? I, I I like this suffering as opposed to the others. Well, I didn't have the body aches, like my knees didn't hurt, my hips didn't hurt, you know, because you can walk in trail running, that took me a long time to like wrap my head around like, oh, we can actually walk up hills. So I think that saves my body, whereas road running is just, I don't stop and it's constant pavement and my bones hurt, my joints hurt, whereas trail running, none of that hurts. It's just hot and humid and I'm exhausted and mentally exhausted versus, you know, my physical body hurting mm-hmm. by the way becky we can't let the secret out we don't want people that are not trail and ultra runners listening to this podcast and go wait a minute they walk no no, no. one walks no i run 100 miles straight without stopping right and 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 really <laughs> we we, yeah, we we run we run the entire time the only time we're not running we're doing this thing called power hiking which yeah. looks like walking to the untrained eye. Like if, if right. you don't know and you can't tell the difference, that's how we know you're not one of us. But there is no walking that takes place. It is no, just. I get people, I pass people walking and there's guys that go, you're walking faster than I run. I go, yeah, I know. I have a mission. <laughs> you power hike. I have a purpose. Where's your purpose? <laughs> what is it? What's the purpose that makes you walk faster, Becky, than some people run? Self-competition. Mm-hmm. I'm very competitive with myself. So it's not, hey, I need to catch up to the person ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Um, or, hey, that person behind me is catching up. I feel like trail racing, you know, it's different. Road racing is absolutely like that. With trail racing, I don't have that. I have more of an internal competition that, you know, I want to do better than the last time I did. Really? So it's just, it's you against you. Yeah. Against the the quitting mindset, the, okay, you're going too fast. It's just kind of trying to conquer your own mind. Correct. Very interesting. 
<laughs> so that half marathon gets you hooked. You like this type of suffering. I gave up road after that. Like I don't you, even. I hate even practicing on road. Really? So you you threw yeah. your you threw your Hoka Clifton's in the garbage because you're like I don't need road shoes anymore. I'm all off road, baby. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What was your first official ultra? Um, she Mount Chiha 50k. Mm-hmm. I had signed up for uh, the 87 trails to do the 100, and so in order. In my training, I had to do a 50K and a 50 miler. So I was like, I might as well do GL 50K. Right. Wait, wait, wait. We're not going to glance over that. You you ran a half marathon on the trails, and that made you go, you know what? I want to go from half marathon to 100 miles. At first, no. Um, I thought people that ran 100 miles was crazy, and it was a stupid idea, and why would you ever do that and then in between signing up for that i volunteered at rebecca mountain 50 miler Mm -hmm. and we were at i think aid station like mile 35 and people it's hot it's in like august and people were coming and puking (laughs) and dying and they were miserable and they wanted to quit and i was like i want that i want to do that like i i want to feel that and overcome that and that's how my hundred mile journey started. Wow. But I know it's stupid and crazy. Like, I don't like, that's just it's what I wanted. That is so amazing. And probably the first time someone has said watching people throw up made me want to run a hundred miles. Yeah. That is, I want to <laughs> suffer like that and be able to overcome it. Wow. So you sign up for your first hundred. Yeah. You're in at that point. I just watched people vomit for hours on end, and now I need to experience a hundred miles. So you realizing that you can, you know, you have a thirty k, you have a fifty k in the training plan, and a fifty miler in the training plan. So your first actual ultra is um, is the Mount Chiaha fifty k. How'd that go for you? Uh, it was good. I had, I think, a goal time of maybe seven thirty, mm-hmm. and I came at like seven thirty four. Um, not bad it was an eye-opener um it was hot it was humid you know around mile 14 i started getting a little bit nauseous and was like but you know i I pulled it out and it was great good you well you you figured you're an expert in in throwing up at this point because you'd watch people do it for that many hours when you worked that aid station Although I have all I have yet to throw up. Really? During culture. <laughs> you better knock on wood because it's going to happen your next one now that you've said it. I've been very <laughs> nauseous, like miles and miles and miles of nauseousness, but I've never thrown up. Wow. Consider, you should consider yourself yeah. lucky. Yes. I Yeah. I feel very lucky. So. Because <laughs> I don't really want to throw up. I don't want to. <laughs> Even though that inspired you, even though the sight of others throwing up inspired you to run 100 miles, you don't actually want to experience that yourself. No. (laughs) (laughs) So I opening first 50K and then you have to do a 50 miler. And that's that 50K to 50 miler is an interesting jump. It really is. is because in your brain... You both, all you see is 50, right? You see five zero and you go, right, kilometers, 
miles. And then you really don't realize the difference until you're like, wait a minute, I'm at mile 41 and I've got nine miles to go. Like, yeah. this is not like it's this the worst is nine miles of your life. Right. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, it's only, it's only nine miles. Like an easy trail run is like 10 miles. And I just have nine and I just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you cross that finish line. And that that's the weird thing too. You cross the finish line of the 50 miler. And then all you can think of if you haven't done a hundred yet is how am I going to do that again? Another 50 miles. <laughs> right. And it's so weird because you do say to yourself, like, how am I going to do that again? How am I going to run what I just ran? I'm miserable. I'm tired. Uh, my my body aches. But how am I going to turn around and then do that again? But again, this weird, kooky sport of ultra running, I don't know if it's a mental thing or a body thing, but you find that it's almost harder to do 50 miles than it is to do 100 miles. As weird as that sounds. Yeah. It, it is. And I feel like it's almost all mental. And the only thing that's going to take someone out is probably stomach issues. Yeah. Honestly, like, you know, the, you know, you get hurt every once in a while, but it's either your stomach's going to revolt or you're, you're just not mentally strong enough that day. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to come see that. Right. Yeah. So you go through that. You get that 50 miler done. Your training plan's going. So you roll into your first 100 miler, the Seven Sisters Trails, right? Yep. And that's that's a Jason Green race, right? Yes. So 100 miles. And the, is the format of that one, is that the is that the looped course you keep doing over and over again? This one was, um, it was the very first Seven Trails mm-hmm. and it was in Damascus. So I went out and trained i put on over 100 miles training on that on the creeper trail wow. just to get my mind right on it so yeah it was a seven point like one out and back like 7.1 total so like three something out and back oh wow and just do that over and over and over again until you get 100 yeah. miles that is that is interesting i always think of like the best possible first 100 mile for anyone i'd say is like you want a point to point or you want one big loop because it takes out the mental part of, oh, God, I've got to do that again. Because you don't really know what's in front of you. You know, like, if you if you just climbed a really crappy hill and you're like, that was awful, you can at least say to yourself in those type of races, well, I never have to see that again. Yeah. And you don't get to say that until, like, my 16th loop is, I'm never going to see that again. <laughs> right. So, for, for 15 other loops, every time you come back, you go... My God, I've I've got to do that again. How was that race for you doing that first 100? So I used to hate doing loops. Hate like I would not do a marathon if you had to do a if you had to pass the finish line. Nope, I'm not doing it. Like I want either point to point or out and back. Yeah. So when I signed up for this, I was like, I mean, I could do this. And my main thing was. I can have my aid station right there. I can have all my comfort stuff every time I come in and out. Yeah. So it was e- to me, it was easier that way. And then that actually made me fall in love with looped courses because all my stuff's right there. And yeah. I don't, if I didn't want to carry, have my vest on me, I didn't have to because the distance wasn't long enough that I needed to carry a bunch of stuff for, you know, seven, eight miles. Mm-hmm. So that was key for me. Did you have any moments early on where you're like, I don't want to go out and do that again? How did you overcome the mental part of, 
oh crap, this again? I thankfully have never really wanted to quit yet, ever in any race I've done yet. Now I have said, I don't, I really don't want to do that. Like for my 50 miler, I didn't, my last, the last like little four mile loop, I was like, I don't want to go out again. But that's just saying it, you know, right. it wasn't like true. So for this one, there wasn't a point where I wanted to stop. I set a goal. I was on pace to beat the goal. Um, I did battle, you know, I had diarrhea and was <laughs> put out for, you know, like 20 minutes in the woods and it sucks, but you know, I took a bunch of Imodium and overcame that. And then I got nauseous and I overcame that. So there wasn't ever a point that I wanted to quit. It seemed easy enough to me just going, cause I didn't count the miles. I had a bracelet on for every loop. And so every loop I'd rip off a bracelet and be like, I only have 10 more to go. Now I'm in the single digit. So with loop courses, that's what I do. I don't ever look at miles. I look at, oh, cool. I have like 10 more. I have nine more. I'm in the single digits. Like, I love that idea. The bracelet idea is fantastic. Well, like what kind of this is like, like the bracelets you get when you go into the beer tent or what type so of like, no, um, when you're little and you made like friendship bracelets out of like that string, that colored string. That's yeah. what I had. Okay. So you'd have all of those in this, when you finish a, a loop, you just pull one off and go, Oh, yeah. well look that it, the, 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 the amount is getting smaller. Yeah. That is a great mental it's trick. Mentally easier. Yes. Not like, oh my gosh, I have 50 more miles. It's like, oh, I have set, you know, five or six more bracelets. That is really, it's almost like the aid station to aid station mentality. It's yes, just, I do that too. Yes. It's for you, it's more of a remo- bracelet to bracelet when you're doing these loops. Yes. <laughs> That's really, I love that idea. Steal that, folks. That's a great idea. Absolutely. We're, where does your mental toughness come from, Becky? Because here we are, we've been talking for about a half hour. And one thing that stands out to me is the mental toughness that you possess. You've talked before about it's you. It's not You're not competing against the person in front of you or the person behind you. You are competing against you. It is you against you. You've never quit yet. Yeah. Where does this mental toughness come from? Um, mainly from my, I think my dad, he was a Marine. He fought two tours in Vietnam. Um, he was a police officer when I was really little. So now I'm a police officer. It's just, it's been ingrained in me since I was little. <laughs> and you, by the way, this is a tip that I got from someone else. You were a police officer in Los Angeles. I was for almost 10 years that like that like, like you think of all the cities like there's new york and la yeah. and chicago those are the cities where i mean there's a lot of our cities we're gonna be busy but those are you're busy there are not days when you're sitting you're sitting on the in the in the parking lot to denny's going man i hope some speeders come by because i got nothing else nope. to do there is not a boring day <laughs> like i can only imagine the things you saw being a cop in LA. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. So that's where I get that from as well. Like I just I'm tough. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm not weak minded. I'm not I don't, you know, I don't have emotional issues or mental issues. I'm just tough. And I was raised that way from when I was little. Your dad being a Marine and a cop. Yeah. 
he taught you toughness. Do yeah. you remember moments where there are things that you saw your dad do or were there lessons that he taught you that stand out that really kind of resonate with you when you find these these moments and races where you want to give up or it's not going well, are there lessons that you can look back at and go like, Oh, okay. I remember this. This was important. You know, he was deployed when I was little to, um, you know, desert storm. So having him gone and having him go through that and him survive that and have the ability to come back and still be with his family. Um, that just was an important part that made me go uh, yeah you can't give up at all like you have other important things in your life that you need to continue on and take care of and you have to come back to so and one thing i don't think people really understand is i mean it's because it's it's not it's not a common occurrence becky um i think one of the things that the last couple conflicts have really there's been a disservice to the nation where vietnam the second world war First World War and so on, the entire country was affected by those conflicts. Whether right. you were, whether your dad was involved or your, you know, child was involved or whatever, everybody had to make sacrifices because it affected your life. Whether you were in the service or not, you knew people who were gone. You had to step up for the war effort. You had to, you know, ration things or whatever, like during the Second yeah. World War, where it's like, hey, guys, we can't do meat today because we're sending it to the troops. You have Vietnam yeah. the same way. You have a draft. Everybody's involved. You know, if there's not someone in your family that is in the service, you know someone who's lost someone because you're driving down the road and you see a gold star in someone's window and you know that they had right. lost someone. These yeah. last couple conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, they were kind of out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. And the first Gulf War as well, where yeah. you can kind of go on your business. You're not really affected day You're to day. Affected. Right. Where I, I live in a military town. And so it's a little bit yeah. different where I have you know, dear friends that had been gone for tours for a year at a time and you know my my one of my best running buddies who has been deployed god more times than i can even count it's it, it's different because they're gone for a year and then they're back and that first run back it just feels like they haven't been gone for a year but people forget about and they don't really i don't think anybody can really appreciate what it's like to be a military child yeah i mean it makes you tough you know and you know, your parent goes away for you know a year at a time, nine months, eight months, and you come back and you have to be tough. You can't, you know, be emotional every day about it and cry. And yeah, because you have because you're home with mom, right? Like you have yeah. to help your siblings or your mom or whatever. Keep the home together. Keep everything together. So when in, in your case, dad gets home. You know, everything is just fine, but I'm sure that's not easy, right. especially if you've got a great relationship, right? Because there's times when yeah. I'm sure during your childhood, you were like, it would be really great to have my dad here right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, that that's, yeah, I think that's right there. I mean, the toughness of just living your life as a, as a military child and and seeing what your dad went through i can totally see how that would be something that would build incredible toughness in you and how that rolls into 
the toughness required to be a Los Angeles police officer. Like that is got to be I like I can't imagine many jobs tougher than that, Becky. It's not. I don't I don't think I don't think so. You know, you put up with people that hate the police there mm-hmm. and you know, you kids are walking down the street holding their mom's hand and the kid waves and the mom puts their hand down. They're like, "Don't wave." Yeah. Like it's it's brutal. It's a brutal, brutal world out there. And I'm so glad I don't live there anymore. <laughs> well, and too, I mean, you think about back in the day, back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, there wasn't social media and there wasn't cameras in everybody's pocket at all times. And that's a right. good thing and a bad thing, right? I think the, the the good thing is it holds people accountable who may not have had, you know, anyone. Oh, absolutely. Be able- yeah. But the bad part is, there is this idea. We're always on camera. Yes, but the I think the bad part too is people assume because there's so many videos that they see that that's the norm when in fact because we all have cameras in our pockets at all times, you catch the exception and you yep. catch you know even if it's you know my buddy's got a great saying. He says 10% of any group of people are just are garbage. They're, they shouldn't be in their jobs. They're the wrong place. And it's the 10% that ruin it for the 90%. And so here there are 90% yeah. that are just wanting to serve and protect or whatever, do their job and, and, and help their community. But it's that 10% who's always on, you know, you can just open up Reddit and go, oh, there's another cop beating somebody up. The 10% gets all the attention. Yeah. So I can imagine. Oh, the exception. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I can imagine going to Alabama. That must have been just like, oh, thank God, I'm a cop in Alabama. Boy, how things have changed. It's completely different. Yeah, it's like smooth sailing. You know, no one really hates <laughs> us. Everyone brings us cookies, and they. Th- I get thanked every single day for doing my job, and I'm like, this is weird. I can imagine too that if you're sitting around the the cop shop and someone's complaining about this is tough, you just go, "I was oh. a cop in L.A. Zip it. This is easy." Oh yeah, <laughs> officers are like, "Oh, we're so busy today." I'm like, "You get one call at a time. Like in LA, you get <laughs> seven calls at one time, and you have to prioritize which one you're going to." This is nothing. Stop complaining. <laughs> so I am sure that between being a military child. Being a cop, I'm sure you look at any obstacle that comes up in the world of ultra running and go, oh, God, I've handled things way tougher than this. This is nothing. Yeah, I had a friend that said, you're going to DNF at one point. And I was like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> that's not happening. In fact, I was doing 100K in Florida, and I thought I had a stress fracture, and I had to walk the last 20-something miles. And I remember... I had just hit the 50K mark and I started crying and I was like, I might actually have to quit. And I'm like, I'm not quitting. I'm going to finish this out. And I did. And it turned out I had torn a muscle on the bottom of my foot completely. And someone said, do you wish that you had stopped now knowing, you know, that you had to take months off to get this healed? I said, no, (laughs) no, I'm glad I finished. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that, that's amazing. The fear of failure is almost what keeps you from failing is this fear of failure. Yeah. My dad used to say, you know, his weakness is leaving the body. Good. Get it all out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's absolutely 
absolutely incredible. Um, just that that attitude. And I think when you think about it, I think anybody, like I've lived a really cush life. I really have. My parents, um, you know, spoiled us kids with love. I mean, they didn't spoil us with like material things. They spoiled us yeah. with love and security. I never worried a day in my life. My dad is the hardest working person I've ever met. My mom is one of the most loving, kind people I've ever met. And the two of them, I lived in a bubble, a bubble of security and comfort. And I didn't even know, like, I, you know, I grew up and I'm talking to my friends and I'm like, man, my, my parents got divorced and they hate each other and screamed at each other. And I'm like, I'm like, what? My parents still hold hands all the time, you know? And so, but even with that very cush life that I have had, there are, I I don't think there's been things in an ultra that I've gone, you know, I haven't, I haven't overcome something more difficult than this. Yeah. If I'm really thinking about it, you know, it's one of those, one of those things you got into a little bit of race directing too, from what I gather. What made you decide to want to get into race directing? So I was vice president of our local running club, which is mainly road running. Mm -hmm. And I thought, let's have a trail race. And, you know, my friends were on the board. We're all trail runners. So like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And I looked into running at a, you know, one of the nearby trails and just none of the dates worked out. And I was like, I wonder if I can do this on my own and not have the running club behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so I kind of emailed the uh, the landowners and was like, hey, you know, I know you said yes for the Anston Runners Club, but what if I did it myself? Like, what do I need to do? And because we have so many road runners here and we don't have a lot of trail runners. Right. And I just we have some great trails and I just want people to be able to run on them and enjoy them like we do. And, you know, we can bring more people in. And she was like, yeah, you just need to get insurance and this and this and this. And I reached out to a couple other race directors and said, all right, how do I get an LLC? How do I do this? How do I do this? And, you know, they kind of walked me through it and I held my first race last, you know, March of 2022. (laughs) It's crazy. Wow. What was that first race? Uh, McClellan Madness, and it was a four-hour and an eight-hour on a four-mile loop. Okay. So that's, you know, that that seems to be a really great way to break into race directing when you've got a four-mile loop yeah. and you go, okay, I just need one aid station. I don't have to worry about yep. setting up 16 or 18 along some course. Yep. I just need to worry about one. It's easy to mark the course and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was easy. And honestly... I think the only thing that I changed from last year to this year was I was more comfortable talking to everyone before the race. Yeah. Like that was it. I kept everything the same. So the first the first time you were a race director, you're like, oh, crap, now I've got to talk to these people? Yeah, because I, like I said, like, it's like an interview. I don't like talking in front of people. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to actually <laughs> talk to everyone. Everyone's just staring at me. It was, it was horrible. What made it easier the second year? Um, I think that I had had four races under my belt at that point. So it just got easier. And I think I just don't care as much now about what people think. 
where where do you think that 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 the, losing the care of what people think came from is it just because you'd seen what you can do and and learning about trail runners and you know they have such a different mindset than road runners mm-hmm. and they're more laid back and they're cooler and like I don't think they care what I have to say. Right. They don't even read the information emails. So <laughs> are they really listening to me at the front? No, <laughs> they're not. So I think once I just let that go, you know, it's fine. We're dropping some truth on this episode. Race directors, <laughs> that is that that is some serious truth. You spend all that time sending out those emails, like, hey. Here's how it's going to work. Here's where packet pickup is. Here's where you can pick up your packet the morning of the race. Here are the things that I allow and don't allow. Here's where parking's at, all of that. And all, all, you know, weeks before the race. Hey, where do we park at? It's in the yeah. email. When does packet pickup? Yeah. It's in the email. Like, no. Can I pick up on race day? Right. It's is it in the that. email? It's all in the email. <laughs> you know it's, it's, even, it's even in my description on ultra sign up people like right. i make it really easy you know it's funny i remember this was years ago long time ago there was a race director and it was kind of controversial um a race director of a certain race um had a thing on his on on his page that if you had any questions it was a dollar you had to pay a dollar to ask a question and so, I love th- it. yeah, that got on that got on social media, and I was on another podcast at the time, and we jumped all over this. We were like, "This is horrible! How dare you? You're already charging people a hundred bucks! Like, how dare you?" But as as I've you know moved to the adventure jogger, and I've talked to more and more race directors, you know, and I, I've talked to people that like talking off mic, on mic, all that stuff. I start to go like, I kind of get where he's coming at. And I kind of want to reach out and, and apologize. I forgot who he was, but I want to reach out and say, I don't know if you remember, but I gave you some crap on an old podcast. But now I just want to say I was wrong and I completely understand why you did it. Now, would I post that? Absolutely. Would I take their money? No, but <laughs> it just gets the point across. Like everything you need to know is written down. Mm-hmm. Like, Really meticulously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. What is the the thing that surprised you most about making that shift from a racer to race director? I didn't realize how much I would love seeing everybody because most of my races are loops. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I would love seeing everyone that I didn't know every single loop. It's just, it's so exciting to me because you get to know these people. You know, if I had like an out and back or one big loop, I don't get to see these people. I get to see them up there, you know, maybe at the start mm-hmm. and like then when they finish for sure. But every loop, I'm like high-fiving and yeah, like way to go. And how do you feel? And what do you need? And it's just, I didn't know I would love that just as much as running a race. That is very neat because you're right. I don't think if you if you're doing a point-to-point 100 mile or something or even a point to point 50k when you've got six aid stations out there as a race director there is so much that's required of you on race day you're checking to make sure the flagging's right and this sort and that and you're really right you don't get to see you see them at the start line you might see a couple at an aid station that you're checking out but you don't really get to see them again until the finish line you setting up the races the way you have you really get to kind of see 
how everybody's race and how their day unfolds. You get to see who looks yeah. like garbage one lap right. and who rallies the next lap. That is really cool. And to see me now come and be like, you know, I had, so I had, I put on Alabama's first hundred K mm-hmm. last August. And I had these, I call them kids. They're in their early twenties. And one signed up for the 100K and he'd only done a half marathon distance before. Yeah. And then another one signed up for the 50K and he emailed me a couple weeks before and said, hey, can I upgrade to the 100K as well? And I was like, okay, but this is what you need to do, okay? Like, <laughs> And so on race day, it was fun to see them because it was four loops and, you know, one of them ended up finishing and the other one did not. But it was nice to be like, you know, they came in at the 50K mark and or yeah, and I like, they didn't, they're like, we need to sit down. I said, no, you're not sitting down. Like you need to get up. And so it was nice to like coddle them and like show them like, you can go out another loop, just go out another loop. And you know, they're hurting and they're in pain and they're able to do one more loop. And it's, it was, it's fun. It's fun to encourage them when they're hurting them. Like, I know you can go on, like, you're not, there's no emergency. You're not going to die. You may be in pain, but you can do it. And so it's, good to see these kids get out there and be able to push themselves when they wanted to give up. And I can only imagine how sweet it was for you to see these kids. And listen, I'm kind of of the mindset of if you're old enough to have children that age, I have children in in their 20s. I can call 20-year-olds kids. I feel like I can do that because guess what? I'm the father of a 20-year-old, so you're kids to me. I'm sorry. I know the the state looks at you as an adult, but you're going to be kids. Uh, but, I think they like it. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. I think there's probably a little bit where, like, with their parents, they want to be like, listen, I'm an adult. But I think, you know, understanding that they're kids and you, you cut them some slack and, and that, all, that all ends up working out. But seeing these kids finish and you help them to achieve something that they thought was probably not possible, that does have to be a great feeling at that finish line for you. 100%. It's like the greatest reality show ever, right? <laughs> because you just see laugh. It's like I tear up, you know, one of the kids ended up not finishing, but one finished. And like, I remember him coming in, I was just tearing up as if, you know, I knew him forever. And like, I had known him, you know, we chatted by text a couple of times, you know, every couple months and, you know, come race day, I'm like, Oh my God, I get to finally meet you and cheer you on. And it was, it's awesome. Okay. Now I heard, and this may not be one of your official races, but you nearly killed one of my previous guests during a beer mile. What is the story behind the time you nearly killed Stephen Bagley at a beer mile. What happened there? So my, I, I just hold a beer mile at my house for all my running friends. But it's not a mile. It's a three mile race. Well, he thought it was a one mile. So he shows up in flip flops <laughs> and doesn't realize he's going to be drinking four, pounding four beers, you know, in three miles. And I mean, he did it. <laughs> yeah, he was in really, really bad shape at the end. Wow. So a beer 5K really is what you do. Yeah. How do you break yeah. that up? Just because now I'm curious, how, how do you break up the beer stations? Um. So I have a pasture in the back of my house. And so previous years we did it back there, but because my friend couldn't cut the pasture this year. We did it on the road in front of my house. So we ran to a stop sign and back. Mm-hmm. And that was 
one almost one mile. So we would have all the coolers sitting out. So everyone had to bring at least four beers, right? And three beers, they drink whatever they want. But their four, their last beer has to come from what we call the mystery cooler. <laughs> and so everyone puts one beer in this cooler at the end, right? And so you reach in and whatever you pull out, you have to drink. And I have some sadistic friends who are like putting in like 9% beers and <laughs> someone brought wine and it's like... <laughs> They try and break you. So the mystery cooler is where it's at. I love that idea because that is the most ultra beer mile ever, right? Because it's not a mile. It's a 5K. And then the fact that you can enjoy your your first three beers, that is what you want to bring. You want your Michelob Ultra the first, you know, <laughs> two miles. Enjoy them. Which I'm still convinced no one has ever actually purchased Michelob Ultra. They've just had it free at a half marathon. Like, 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 like Michelob's like, I don't get why we're out of stock of Michelob Ultra, but we haven't made a single dime on it. Why are we losing money right. on Mick Ultra <laughs> when we don't have it anywhere? It's like, well, that's because it's available for free at every single half marathon anybody ever right. does but i do all that mystery yeah after three michelob ultras um which you'd be ashamed of yourself if you drink that uh going in and grabbing the the mystery beer because let's be honest there are some rancid beers out there there's some fantastic like you oh, can, yeah. And oh then, yeah oh and there's some awful ones I think someone brought even like even a Budweiser or Bud Light or Bud Ice one time. I was like, oh, no, I do not want the Bud Ice. That's just, that's just disgusting. <laughs> Natty Light, Bud Ice. Right. Like who drinks that? And, you know, we have rules like you can't have like you can't bring a 40. It has to be at least an eight ounce, like, you know, nothing over 32. So it's within reason. <laughs> that's that is that is so amazing. I love that. I totally want to steal that idea now. As someone who, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but every year in the summer, I get dragged into a beer mile and to 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 differing results. They are so much fun if you can do it responsibly and you can yeah. you know have some designated drivers. And because the one thing that people don't realize is, and I think it'd probably be different for yours. But doing an actual beer mile, the beer doesn't hit you. Like the 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 carbonation and the sloshing gets you by beer three. And you're doing everything you can to hold it all down for the you know third lap and fourth lap. But then you don't realize is that all hits your system five minutes after you're done. Yeah, because I think with the three miles, you don't really feel it at all right. until you're done. And then you're like, boom. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> Which is, I think, what Steven said. So my beer mile is actually next weekend. Steven's like, I'm not doing it. He's going to come, but he swears he's not going <laughs> to participate. I was like, if you want, you can run a mile, but then you're drinking four beers and you know, have her beers in my, I don't know. Yeah. Isn't it cool that the community and just like I, different people suggested different guests and the same person who suggested you did not suggest or the people that suggested you as a guest did not suggest Stephen Bagley. They didn't. It was, it was separate people that had suggested, yeah, yeah. you know, you guys as guests. But I love to see just the connection and to see, you know, I'm talking to Stephen 
And he goes, oh, you got Becky coming up. I got some things I'm going to send you about Becky. And then I'm stalking your Facebook page before this interview. And you know someone that that I have encountered who is just a incredible human being. And that's Ronnie Robertson, who is yes. just, I mean, he is this figure in Alabama trail running who is just this loving, larger than life, absolutely incredible human being that people like like Ronnie, when you get around them and you and you meet them and spend time with them, they're such great ambassadors for the sport and they're just awesome human beings. Yeah, in fact, he he quits ultra running after every race. And <laughs> he's the ultimate comeback king. Like, I'm done. I'm I'm retiring. And we're like, okay, Ronnie. Right. Okay. He, he's like Michael Jordan. You know, he's like retired yeah. 90 times. And then all the Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. And then all of a sudden he's like, ah, I'm back. How about yeah. that retirement? Nah, I'm back. <laughs> but it, it it is so neat. And you really Alabama does have a really incredible running scene. Um, race wise, trail running wise. I mean, I just think about, you know, I've, I've talked a million times about the Pinhoti 100, which is just such an iconic race, but even just the people, whether it's Huntsville or Birmingham or, you know, wherever, the, even the rural parts of Alabama, it really, Alabama does have a really great trail running community. Yeah, it, we really do. And I'm fortunate in that, um, because I don't think we really had that in where I was in California. Which is interesting. You would think Los Angeles, of all places, would have a big trail running community. And maybe it's because the city's just too big and it's hard to connect all those and it people. it takes to drive anywhere, so. Right, right. We're, we're this. And I can see knowing a lot of people and loving a lot of people in the Alabama trail running community. I can really see how it's easy to get sucked into that community. It really is. I mean, because, you know, we've got Birmingham's only an hour away. I got Huntsville that's two hours away. So I rely on, you know, the Birmingham people all the time. You know, I've got the Birmingham Ultra Society coming and they do an aid station. And then there's the new race director, Trey. We started about the same time, Zombie Trail Races. Mm -hmm. He helps me out and does aid stations for all my races. And we're just willing. We're not competing at all. You know, everyone wants the help and wants everyone else to succeed as well. Well, I think it's kind of stupid. It's kind of like it's kind of like thinking like no one's going to listen to any of their podcast. Right? Like why why is the why are the podcast people going to be jerks to each other? We're not because we realize that right. I put out two episodes a week. People run 7 days a week. Like there there's going to be other opportunities and there and there's other really fantastic podcasts. I think about like a Bigfoot and Cultra and 10 Junk Miles and so many others out there that it's it's people listen to those other things and how foolish would it be as a race director to go like people are only going to run my races. So I don't want to you know it's like come on that's that's not even impossible that that's that's not even possible. People are always always going to I mean, run. I mean I go as far as I look on all to sign up when I was scheduling my races and I was like, I don't want to schedule on the same days as the big races. You know, I want everyone, I don't want to compete and I don't want to take away their runners. Like, so let's, we can all share. Yeah, exactly. You take, you, if you have a race at this time, I'm going to put my race, you know, earlier or later. So yeah. people can do all of those and enjoy those things. What is the, uh, what's, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten from another race director? 
Oh gosh. Um, probably treat everyone fairly, you know, Mm -hmm. treat them like they're your family. And that's what I do. Um, I don't know these people signing up for my races, but I think we're friends at the end of it. You know, I treat them with respect and I'm friendly to them and I cheer them on. And even if they're having a bad day and they're grumpy, I'm going to give them a hug and (laughs) tell them it's okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, Becky, you said earlier on that you didn't want to do this interview because you hate doing interviews, but I I, I think you may actually be good at them. So I'm sorry to say, obviously... (laughs) This may not be your last interview that you hate because you are pretty good at them. Thank you. I, I appreciate you reaching out to me too and inviting me to talk to you. It was absolutely a blast. Uh, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time and just talking trail running and race directing and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, we got a dog in the background. That Which one is that? They're they're both fighting. That's Gru and Lolly. <laughs> Gru, Gru and Lolly. Where where's Kevin Bacon during all of this? Kevin, see, I, I rushed home from work to feed him, and after feeding him, he goes outside and grazes. So he's outside grazing. Okay, darn! I wish Kevin Bacon could have made an appearance. <laughs> I know. I was hoping he'd be inside, but he's not. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> 